BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, this is Helen from Helen's Wines, and this is Wine Face. Yes, full transparency. It's wine face. No makeup, maybe a little lip balm. I'm just kidding. This is Helen, back at it. New podcast, wine face. We are here. I own a wine shop. It's on Fairfax. It's called Helen's Wines. If you would like more information, please visit us online, helenswines.com, or follow along the adventures of the wine maniacs on Instagram, at helenswines. Today, bringing it at you, real sassy-like, we are talking about Austria. We're talking about one winemaker in Austria. I think people rarely drink Austrian wine, except for my one friend, Priscilla Fraser, who runs the Mac Center, a great nonprofit architectural preservation jam in LA. Go check it out, Mac Center. Um, but Austria it's dope on a rope. Uh, it's kind of confusing. I think sometimes people think Austria and they're like like Germany-ish. Uh, Austria is its own country. It's kind of shaped like a steamer clam. If anyone's had those steamers, it's like a clam with a tail. So an oval with a tail, roughly. It's lying on its side and then we steam you and you dip you in butter. Um, it has many bordering countries, including Germany, Italy, Switzerland, Slovenia, Hungary, Czech Republic, and Slovakia. So it's got a lot of interest, a uh, lot of, you know, interesting neighbors, dynamic, but I think Austria for many reasons, and we're not going to get into the history of Austria because it's cool, it's dope, it can be a little dark and a little edgy, um, but they have a lot of dope-ass neighbors and they're making dope-ass wine. Most of the winemaking is in the eastern part of the country, um, and there's some really amazing waterways, a lake, or some rivers that are really the foundational hold of what makes Austrian wine so badass. And I wanted to talk about it today because it's often overlooked, but as the planet continues to warm and the climate begins to shift, it's regions like Austria that are actually going to have a lot of impact on the future. Another thing, and we're just going to get the dirty business out of the way right to begin. It's 1985. I was three years old. That's right. I was born in 1982. <laughs> it's 1985. No, I was trying to do some Hamilton thing, but it didn't really work. I've only seen the play once. Um, so in 1985, Austria was rocked by scandal. 
So basically some rogue producers, but some really large production producers, um, they put diethylene glycol into their wines, which is a version of antifreeze, to make the wines sweeter and have more texture. I mean, this is just some of that backward stuff that we've been talking about all along the way. Tune into episode one. If you're just tuning in, you get all the 411 on the dark side of the wine industry. So 1985 scandal hits Austria. The Austrian export wine market completely collapsed. Um, It just devastated. There were all these big news things like Austrian wine is full of antifreeze. Anyway, it crippled their industry for a long time. And what people don't know about Austria is, A, not all the winemakers were doing that, but B, the backlash that and the result of that in the country is they actually now take a very hyper-naturalistic approach in their winemaking. So a lot of Austrian wine is so good, it's just unfamiliar. And that's why we are here at Wine Face to bridge the gap, make it familiar, bring you into a world. Today we're talking about one producer specifically. I love a lot of Austrian wine producers. I think we're going to go deep into a couple of them, but today we are talking about Michael Wenzel. Michael Wenzel is in an area in uh, the winemaking like eastern section of Austria called Bergenland. Um, just side note, the most famous probably winemaking region in Austria is the Wachau. It's spelled W-A-C-H-A-U, Wachau. Now, I'm trying to do the accents. I try and pronounce, enunciate everything accurately, but don't shoot the messenger. I'm not a German speaker by nature, so I try my best. Um Cool. So Michael Wenzel is in Bergenland. His family has been making wine in an, a part of Bergenland called Roost since 1647. So that's over 400 years of dope ass winemaking passed down generation to generation to generation. And now Michael's up in there. He's bringing it into the 21st century like crazy. Um, so he has this line of wines that he calls, he calls wild and free. And they are, and they're amazing. And they're wild and free because they're winemaking at its truest. It is fermented grapes in a bottle. So he is hand harvesting, organic farming, spontaneous fermentation only in the wine cellar. He's ticking all the boxes of the wines that I love. And the end result are these insanely aromatic, balanced, mind-bending examples of how a grape can really express terre wizard terroir (laughs) that that was terroir so michael wenzel he's in bergenland i mean 400 years of winemaking in a family is absolutely bananagrams um the reason i think that people are not as familiar with austrian wine is for a couple reasons they hear uh the most probably the most famous wines coming out of austria for white wine are either gruner veltliner or riesling a lot of people assume that riesling is going to be sweet and that gruner veltliner they're just not sure what the hell that means so i think that that's part of why austria gets confusing and especially when you're consuming wines from the wachau which is that more popular um it's not only that it's more popular, it's that it has really, really insane terroir. It's right along a river. We're going to go deep into the Wachau, but today we are in Bergenland. Michael Wenzel. So let me take it to the level of my three favorite wines at the moment that he has. 
We're going to start with the first one. Uh, this is the Wild and Free Gelber Muscateller. I can't even tell you the intoxication of this wine because it really kind of knocked me off my feet about two years ago when I had it for the first time. Uh, Klaus, my Austrian homie who sells the wine here, shout out to Klaus, he brought it in and he's like, I think you'd really like this Gelber Muscateller. He has the best accent ever. I can't do it and I feel ashamed to even try. Gelber Muscateller is as a grape varietal. So remember that all white wine, all red wine, they're made from different grape varietals. And there's hundreds of different grape varietals that are grown all over the world. So it's not just your average Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Grenache Syrah, Sauvignon Blanc. We can step out of that comfort zone and get into a little outfit like Gelber Muscateller. Super, super rare. It's an ancient varietal. So from the ancient world, like maybe back when Greece was an empire. And they don't really know the origin of it. Um, it could possibly be ancient Italy or ancient Greece. Either way, pretty badass to have an ancient varietal kind of making, clawing its way up from the ancient depths. Everything's ancient. You will really rarely find any Gelber Muscateller grown anywhere. Very, very rare. So the fact that it's 100% that grape is so cool. Um, the, what really knocked me off my feet though, why it was so intoxicating is you pour a little in your glass, you swirl it around and immediately there are these insane aromatics that just get unleashed into your sensory system. It's notes of like white flowers, parsley, pine. So it's savory and floral. And at first I was like, hmm, I'm not sure I'm going to really like this wine. But then you take your first sip and it's almost ethereal, salty, clean, pretty, acidic, just a vibe like falling over you. It's like silk running across your palate. It's not clunky. It's not sweet. It's not too floral. And it's super, super dry. I literally felt like I was Cleopatra the first time I had this uh, sip of this wine. And now I know why, because it's maybe ancient Greek. So the Gelber Muscateller is part of the wild and free. Um, the next one, and it does have, just a side note on the Gelber Muscateller, it has like a little bit of skin contact. I would not call this in quote unquote orange wine, as they're saying on the street. I would call this more of he might do a little extended skin contact of the grapes and the juice to add texture and to add a vibe. So... The coolest thing about this wine and why I think everybody should experience it is what you smell is not the same thing as what you taste, but you can trace parallels among the two. Intoxication times two. It's really amazing. Uh, my next favorite wine that I'm currently obsessed with from him is his Pinot Gris. Wild and free, Pinot Gris. Uh, I don't know where this song came from, but I'm into it. Uh, I also was like singing in my head Madonna's La Isla Bonita and I was like how can I work in wild and free I think it's because everybody's wild and free La Isla Bonita so it's La Isla Wenzel Bonita so this is his skin contact Pinot Gris this is a great baby step into orange wine for people who haven't had a skin contact white wine that's what an orange wine is just a little reminder uh, there's red wine there's white wine there's rosé and then there's skin contact white wine. Word on the street is it's called orange wine. 
I like to call it skin contact white wine because it really explains what it is. It's when a winemaker treats a white wine more similarly to how they would treat a red wine before it ages. So the process of letting the skins and the juice interact for a longer period of time to gain more color, more extraction, and sometimes allow more oxygen into the wine as it's slowly fermenting. So the Pinot Gris, a lot of people, again, hear Pinot Gris and they're like, I don't know, Pinot Gris sound kind of sweet, kind of floral, kind of clunky. This wine is the exact opposite of that. It does have those beautiful aromatics of um, like a lily, like a white lily flower. Very, very subtle though in this wine. And I think your overwhelming ocean crashing wave as you take a sip is again this linear beautiful fine line that slides across the palate and has a little twist of an orange rind um, just a little bit of like a lemon pulp it's absolutely beautiful and these wines are so elegant I mean the first time I had them I was just like how 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 Klaus how do they make such beautiful wine and keep it so concise and exact and amazing. And he was like, I don't know. They've been doing it for 400 years. So it's cool. Uh, I love you, Klaus. Sorry. Uh, my impression of you is terrible. <laughs> Last wine I'm obsessed with right now from Michael Wenzel. And I think why I'm pushing him so hard is it's like, this is a cool toe tip in to Austria. Uh, I'm obsessed with this Blau Frankish. And now Blau Frankish is a red wine grape. It's one that you don't see that often. Its origin is in Austria. So typically, if you're going to have Blau Frankish, it's going to be from Austria. And its origins date back to around maybe the 18th century. Um, there's a little gray area there. Its, uh, its parent parental grapes are kind of unknown, but it is often used to crossbreed and cr has created like other red varietals often found in Austria, like Zweigelt. Uh, it has like a deep dub set woodsy berry vibe usually coupled with good amounts of acidity, hibiscus, eucalyptus. Um, it's basically schnitzel's best friend is what it's how I would say it. Like if schnitzel wanted to take a prom photo, it would probably be hugging Blau Frankish. Uh, so this is Ostimkalk is what it says on there. If I'm mispronouncing that, I'm so sorry, but Ostimkalk is indicating that it is grown in limestone soil exclusively that is the terroir and i think that's where you're going to get some of that acidity that brightness that freshness that's coming through on the palate of these wine this is a beautiful example of blau frankish because it has everything that i kind of look for in a red wine it has fruit and a weight to it but it also has lightness with the minerality coming from the limestone and the acidity but yeah, Michael Wenzel, he a badass, he a boss. He's in Bergenland and he's actually near one of my other favorite Austrian Bergenland producers, which is Meinklang. Meinklang is nearby. I would like to dedicate a whole other episode to Meinklang and possibly have one of my friends come by who is an avid Meinklang obsession person, just like me. But I wanted to tease Austria put a little Michael Wenzel out there into the world. Um, he's actually coming to town in November, and we are going to be throwing the wild and free brunch at Animal. And I will let you know when those tickets are up, but I will be there with Michael. 
We're going to be raging on the Gelber Muscateller and the Pinot Gris. These are the perfect wines for fall. It's cozy. They have texture. They have finesse. They have character. It's an absolute vibe. The way that I want people to get wild and free themselves on their wine buying game is to really up their pairing game. I get so many comments when I'm teaching wine classes that people are scared to do pairings when they have people over for dinner. They're scared to pick the wrong wine with the wrong dish. First of all, there is no wrong and right. You should just buy wine you like to drink, uh, preferably good wine. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. So when you get wild and free on the pairings, that's when you can really have fun. I have some favorite things that I would eat or cook with these wines. Uh, from the top, Gelber Muscateller. This wine is tricky because of the aromatics, but I really feel strongly that Vietnamese food would is absolutely beautiful with this wine. You're getting the herbaceousness, the freshness of Vietnamese vibes. Even if you had it with pho, it would be absolutely mind-bendingly beautiful. I also like this wine as an aperitif, so with kind of soft goat cheeses, um, maybe some crudite, chill-ass dips, stuff like that, sort of more in the ethereal realm, or alternatively, like a poached salmon with dill, maybe a little creamy sauce. Um, you could have this with so many different types of food. I think that's what's so exciting about it. But you definitely would not want to have this wine with like tomato sauce or meatballs. It just, it wouldn't be a perfect pairing. And I say that <laughs> as I realize we're pouring it by the glass at John and Vinny's, but the reason we're pouring it is because it goes so well with our salads. It goes so well with the tuna conserva. It goes so well with everything uh, that's kind of on the lighter side in the menu, even the alio olio pasta. Uh, for the Pinot Gris, I have kind of a wacky pairing that I would really enjoy. I would do it with enchiladas verdes. I just tried to make these at home for the first time uh, two days ago and I killed it. I got to say, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I was a little nervous and my boyfriend's grandma... Uh, she's a badass and she kind of verbally told me how she makes them and hers are the best. And I tried to recreate it and the tomatillo salsa was not too spicy. So it had this subtlety of melted cheese, tomatillos, um, some queso fresco, chicken that I poached. It was really delicate and then you get the corn tortillas. So the Gelber, uh, the mousse, I'm sorry, we're on the Pinot Gris, hello, which just has a little skin contact, would just cuddle up really nicely with the cheese and the tomatillos. Um, so th that might be like an out-of-the-box kind of pairing because most people might not think of that. But another one for the Pinot Gris is something very fall, like roasted pork loin with garlic and rosemary, a roasted chicken, also hummus, baba ganoush, um, falafel, anything sort of in that Middle Eastern world. If you live in LA, just grab a bottle, run to Kismet because they got the best food on the east side. And then with the red wine, I do think it really does go well with a pork schnitzel. It's also roasted mushrooms, other best friend. So whether you're going to make roasted mushroom risotto or even a pasta with roasted mushrooms and some shaved Parmesan Reggiano on top, you throw in a little thyme, it's like bellissimo. So those would probably be my ultimate pairings um but i think it's for you to get this wine find this wine support this awesome young winemaker and 
give it a whirl. There's no wrong answer. Uh, so come if you're in Los Angeles, come by Helen's Wines. If you want to talk more about Michael Wenzel or Austrian wine in general, or you want to pick up one of these bottles, they are imported. If you're not in Los Angeles, the importer for Michael Wenzel is Winemonger. So you want to look just like Fishmonger, but for wine. So Winemonger, you want to contact them if you can't find it at a wine shop in your city. Um, special shout out to Austria for having so many neighbors and just being so badass. We've put 1985 behind us. 1985 who? What scandal? This is Wine Face. Uh, I also just want to give a real quick shout out to the people who did my music. It's so badass. Uh, it's one of the coolest bands in LA. They're called ATM. That is short for Alex, Tony, Matt. And those are the three band members. They are putting out vinyl. Their third album is coming out next month, I think. Uh, the uh, record production company is Radical Documents. If you want more info, just message me. But shout out to ATM for just making this podcast lit all day, every day. Alex, Tony, Matt, thank you. Follow along at Helen's Wines. I'm going to post up some pics of the Michael Wenzel wines and definite pairings for these wines. You could go Austrian. You could go bratwurst. You could go schnitzel. You get wild and crazy like that. But I also think you could do a roasted chicken, mashed potatoes, things that are beckoning you for fall that you want to cook and roast and get down with. This is Helen and this is Wine Face. Um, follow along at Helen's Wines or visit us at my website website houndswines.com thank you